Uh, it's just the saddest thing. I mean, um, I spent most of the day on the verge of tears, if I'm honest. He was a an innovator. He was an innovator. He was original. Everyone feels better once they hear the opening lines of Jump. And that's Eddie Van Halen. On Tuesday evening, we learned of the passing of a huge name in the rock world. A name that shone bright since the end of the 70s. A name that's become synonymous with huge record sales, innovative musicianship and hero status. Edward Ludwig Van Halen. Or Eddie, as he's more fondly known, passed away at the age of just 65. The band, started with his brother Alex that bears the family name, has become one of the biggest rock bands of all time. Sold in excess of 75 million records, multi-platinum albums galore, and has millions of devoted fans worldwide. Eddie is held up as one of the greatest guitarists, not just of his generation, but of all time. In 2015, Rolling Stone commissioned a poll to find the top 100 guitarists and worked with some of the biggest names in the business. Eddie Van Halen came out eighth. According to Louder Sound, they have him as the fourth best, while Guitar World rank him third. So I felt it only just that I dedicate a special episode of the Vintage Rock Pod to this groundbreaking man. Over this special edition, I speak to an author, a radio star, a podcaster, and a social media rock historian to find out more about the legacy Eddie Van Halen leaves behind. Starting with Kevin Dodds, an author who wrote the book Edward Van Halen, a definitive biography. Let's start at the very beginning then. Your book um, was kind of inspired by your love. You're a big fan of, of Van Halen and, and Eddie in particular. And just tell us a little bit about how you got into the band, because it's, it's an interesting story. Yeah, I know. It's a fun story. Um, uh, well, I was born at the right time. I, I think that if I had been born a little earlier, I could have enjoyed probably a little bit more of the earlier years and maybe seen a, a concert before I saw the 1984 concert. But I did get to see at least the 1984 concert. So several times a year, my grandmother would drive from Houston down to the suburbs where we lived and she would, it would be our birthday or Christmas and she'd just show up with a stack of 45s. In 1979, in April of 1979 for my birthday, my, my grandmother brought the stack of 45s and right in the middle there was Dance the Night Away by Van Halen. I loved it, you know. Then in 81, MTV started and there weren't that many videos on MTV to start and a lot of what they did was they played some live stuff that they had and turned out there were some great videos from Van Halen's fair warning to her in 1981. But uh, I was only nine, you know, I was a kind of a little guy and uh, they looked in the unchained video. They looked so tough. It like kind of scared me a little bit, like three out of the four of them are shirtless, you know, and it was just like when I was a kid just to see like tough guys with their shirts off or whatever, just meant like someone was going to get their butt kicked, you know. Um, so I was really intimidated when I saw that. I was like, I don't know, those guys scare me, you know. Then finally in 84 was I was I was 12 years old, but, you know, finally deemed reasonably old enough to see the concert. And um, my best friend and I went to the concert. It changed our lives, and we started a band almost immediately after when we were literally 12 years old, and we took that all the way up until we were both uh, 30. That's how Van Halen came into my life, and, and that's how much of an effect on kind of the direction that my life took just from seeing one concert. 
Absolutely. And it's one of those that um, it's not just you that that band has affected. It, it's it's thousands and thousands of people, isn't it? From your rock star gods to yeah. just regular Joes. Yeah, he uh, there's just something cool about him for everyone. You know, if you were really into super technical music, you know, he was the best at it. At this stage, Kevin produces on the video call a replica of Eddie's signature Frankenstein guitar. Uh, original designs and really cool. I mean, who, who came up with that? You know, like, I mean, he, he came up with that. That's immediately recognizable. <laughs> wow. Know? Anyone in the world sees that and they know immediately that's Eddie Van Halen, you know? So there's something for the artists, you know, there's something for the casual or even like uh, people that just look like jump, you know, or people that like dance the night away. There's something there for them. There was something there for every audience when he is when he did uh, beat it, you know, the guitar solo on beat it. So it's yeah, there was just something there for everybody, you know. Absolute legend, and um, and just talking about his legacy and things like that. And um, one that everyone talks about is this tapping that the, the style he didn't invent it, but he certainly made it hugely popular and and, and pushed it out into the mainstream, didn't he? Yeah. Um, I, you know, I did a lot of research in that regard. Um, and you know, you don't have to look far to, to find even examples of finger tapping in the 1950s. Mm -hmm. uh, the, he did not invent it. I, I, I think he had, it. he stated very clearly that his first idea was from watching Jimmy page, um, a Led Zeppelin concert where he was just doing his fingers like this and he wasn't even using this hand. And then he goes, Oh, well, I could put that hand there and do like that. And so that was like reverse, tapping right was the first idea and then there would just happen to be a, a friend of his um that was familiar with the uh technique and he showed eddie in his pasadena bedroom you know hey check this out you know even ace fraley from kiss was doing finger tapping you can you don't you can just go right to youtube and find that as so it it wasn't brand new but the thing was was that eddie said and he was right was that most people were just doing it for a flourish or just something, but he wrote full passages, you know, like, I mean, I, and what he, what he's referring to is, you know, a lot of the, you know, when, when Ace Fraley and his, uh, and the Kiss concert, he would just do something like he would go, like, you know, something real kind of minor, you know, just for like a flourish or something, they would go like, but, you know, Eddie did, you know, you know, he wouldn't have been able to do that without his classical music background, you know, so is he in classical music on piano, you do a lot of triplets, things like that. So it's just a totally natural progression for him to uh, translate that right hand piano ability right into both hands on the, like playing this like a piano. And he even did that, you know, he did these like overhanded techniques and stuff. Um, but that, that ability for him to write like, an instantly recognizable melodic passage doing it. I mean, that just, that just totally set him apart, you know? Just yeah, yeah. back onto the, the piano point then, because um, over in the UK, um, when you speak about Van Halen, probably the same around the world, you think of Jump. Yeah. And again, that's, that's the synth riff, isn't it? And that's going back to his background of being a classical pianist. Yeah, it, um, it also was something that he had written for a while. You know, it, it wasn't just written for 1984. He had, he had had that idea kicking around for a while. Um, and I also, I love the way that uh, David Lee Roth characterized um, the main riff, this main synth chords was that it sounds happy and it sounds sad 
And in the end, you don't really know if it's wistful or melancholy or uplifting. And we've already talked about enough right there just to make it very interesting. <laughs> you know, like that's a lot right there in just a few chords. Fantastic. And just talking then, obviously, he passed away um, last night as we record this. Um, what sort of legacy does he leave behind then? He was a, an innovator. He was an innovator. He was original. That, those, those are the biggest things, I think. Innovative. I mean, innovation. Just innovation from top to bottom, whether it was the riffs that he wrote, the, the way he played his solos, to the way he painted his guitar, to uh, the way his guitar sounded, to all this stuff, the whammy bar stuff that he did, where he came up with the idea for these fine tuners on the Floyd Rose Bridge and the pickups that he used, the wood that he used. I mean, it's, he didn't, you know, one, I love Jimi Hendrix. In fact, I, right there on my bookshelf is a picture of Jimi Hendrix right there. He's like, I have a picture of Jimi Hendrix in my home like he's a family member. But he was fine to just take any Fender Strat. You know, just give me a Fender Stratocaster. I don't care what the color it is, what, you know, what it's made out of. Just give it to me, plug it in. He didn't care. Um, you know, but Eddie was like, oh, this thing doesn't do things that I want it to do. It doesn't sound the way I hear it in my head. You know, he had to chase the tone. And that was always this big thing. He was always chasing the tone. Next up, I spoke with Planet Rock presenter Darren Reddick. We chatted on Thursday morning and he reflected on the previous day's feelings. Uh, it's just the saddest thing. I mean, um, I spent most of the day on the verge of tears, if I'm honest. And that's weird because I'm not, I'm not the hugest Van Halen fan. I've never met anyone in the band. Uh, I have no direct connection to him other than the fact that, you know, as a 50 something year old man, I was absolutely in that prime demographic of late seventies into the eighties of listening to Van Halen. And they were absolutely huge. And it's just the soundtrack of our lives. And uh, so, you know, I was sad. So many Planet Rock listeners were sad. I mean, you saw all the tributes, presumably from all the rock stars. The guy was an absolute, absolute game changer. I mean, it was a case of that first album of when you heard Eruption, it was like, what was that? Play it again. You know, it, it was, we had not heard anything like that before. So, you know, from that moment on, it's like, and then everybody was just kind of like, yeah, Eddie Van Halen is the king. He is. He's just one of those guys. So it was very, very sad uh, to uh, to hear that terrible news. And so young as well, 65, shouldn't have happened. Um, just talking there about uh, Eddie Van Halen being such a cool character. I mean, over in America, he was, he was a bigger figure than he was over here in the UK, of course. But in America, he was almost an American hero, wasn't he? Oh, I don't even think there's any almost about it. I think he totally was. I think, um, put it this way, the news was broken to me by my very non-rock-involved mother. Okay. <laughs> that was the message I got. It was something like, I'm sorry to hear about Van Halen. I'm like, what? <laughs> Quick, what? And so, you know, even to the point being that even she, who my mom's a ballet teacher, she doesn't know about rock music. She doesn't care about rock music, but she knew that back in 1983 when MTV was on in the States, which is where I grew up, obviously, when MTV uh, was happening in all music videos, you're going to get jump mm -hmm. from the moment it was released every two hours or something to the point where my band played that song and my mom came to know that song as, 
Uh, that's Darren's song. <laughs> that's what it was known as to her. So she, there's no almost a hero thing about it. He broke through all kinds of barriers in so many ways. There's that way. There's, of course, him playing on Beat It with Michael Jackson, uh, with Thomas Dolby. Nobody mentions that. Mm-hmm. He played on a couple of songs on Thomas Dolby's Astronauts and Heretics. If you haven't heard that, go and check it out. Unmistakably him. There's probably a few others I'm forgetting, but uh, he was just... And the thing that that really struck me yesterday when it was, was all breaking was I, I actually was watching Gene Simmons on ITV talking to uh, Paris Morgan. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. But even Gene who I have had the pleasure of interviewing on several occasions. Now, I don't know. I, I, I have no reason to believe that he was anything but genuine in this interview, but he did appear to get quite choked up while talking about him. And Gene Simmons had a, had a part to play in the history of Van Halen. He likes to tell it that he discovered Van Halen. Maybe that's true, but to be honest, someone was going to discover them. Why not Gene Simmons, you know? And there were rumors that he wanted to get Eddie Van Halen into Kiss at one point and stuff. So Gene Simmons talking about Eddie Van Halen and getting choked up, there was a relationship there. And if you can make Gene Simmons cry, well, that speaks volumes about the, the character of the, of the person in question. And by all accounts, Eddie Van Halen was a very nice guy. Absolutely. Uh, now, I take it yesterday on your show, you were playing plenty of their songs. And what sort of messages were you getting from, from your listeners then across the UK? Oh, you know, it was just basically a reflection of, of what I was saying on the air. Not for no other, everybody was feeling the same thing, which was, again, you know, uh, this disconnected relationship with this guy. And it's just so sad. I think in the back of our minds, we had all hoped that Andy Copping at the Download Festival would finally succeed to get Van Halen over. But, uh, you know, or that we would at least get to see Van Halen one more time. You know, when they released a different kind of truth, I certainly was hopeful that uh, Van Halen would make it over here for a leg, you know, a couple of gigs, something that obviously didn't happen. So, you know, basically it was, I just happened to have the big microphone, but everybody was feeling the same thing as I was feeling, which was just an overwhelming sense of sadness that, that that the king the king has died, and and to you then, what kind of legacy does he leave behind in the music world, in the rest of the world, within the population, within our hearts? What legacy does Eddie Van Halen leave behind? Uh, often imitated, never bettered. Uh, you know, it's there. There are lots of people who can play Eddie Van Halen licks, and they can probably do a pretty good impersonation of him, but. Nobody has, you know, Eddie Van Halen's soul. I do remember his legacy. Uh, it's just he changed the way you play the guitar. You know, hammer-on technique now is is just part of the vocabulary. Um, it had been done before, but it had never been done in quite the way he did it and brought sort of this melodic sort of mentality to it. It was always melodic. You know, he had the brown sound because he wanted to play hard rock, but he didn't want to scare the girls away. So he obviously had a certain degree of sensibility about him as well. And that's what he had. He had that, it was a very friendly sound, but it was always so soulful. You know, it's like, listen to just, it's like a couple of bars at the end of Dreams uh, where he does the the hammering on. It's not long, does it? but it's, hairs on the back of the neck time and he brought that to every song listen to best of both worlds listen to 
any of the early stuff, anything, even on the keyboards. And a lot of people forget that the keyboards were part of Van Halen from a very early moment on when the cradle uh, and the cradle will rock. That's distorted as all hell. Rhodes piano and that's Eddie playing it, you know, so they, they forget the keyboards were there way before jump. Uh, so, you know, it's just a huge musical uh, library of great songs. And, you know, I'll admit, I'm not familiar with every single Van Halen song. Maybe now is a good time to go back and, and hit some of those earlier albums or even even some of the, um, I couldn't tell you what's on balance, really, for example. I think Pound Cake's on that, but that's probably about all I know. That's great. There's still music to be discovered. For us in the UK and many other parts of the world, Van Halen shot to prominence in the 80s. They were 80s poster boys. The hard rock had morphed into more synth sounds. So to find out more about Van Halen in that decade, I spoke to Steve Spears from Stuck in the 80s. Well, it's interesting because I I think people think of Van Halen as being the consummate 80s uh, hard rock band. They were were so MTV friendly, um, FM radio friendly. But I mean, but in actuality, I think their first two albums were for, from the seventies. And I mean, mm-hmm. Van Halen one and Van Halen two, or I think were 77 and 79. Uh, when they came into the eighties, they kind of came in with a bit of a whimper. They, but when they finally hit gold with 1984, I mean, it was just like they reinvented rock. And Eddie Van Halen himself, who everybody at that time thought of as just being one of the ultimate guitar gods. I mean, almost, almost from the very first time you heard him, he just sort of, it's like he ascended the throne upon birth almost. But I, th- I think what's interesting about him is he might be, he invented some of the greatest synth lines of the decade. And I don't think he gets enough credit for that, but he certainly gets enough credit and every ounce of it is due to his guitar ability and, and the groundbreaking techniques he brought to it. Absolutely. He was, he was phenomenal, wasn't he? And we've seen all the tributes come pouring in from, from rock stars and guitarists and everything from the day. But just touching a little bit on what you said there about the synth lines. I mean, especially here in the UK, the big singles were Jump and uh, Why Can't This Be Love? And that is very synth heavy and synth driven, isn't it? Yeah. And I know it was divisive for the band at the time. It, that was almost the beginning of the end for them. They, uh, you know, David Lee Roth did not like that direction. Um, it was already a band that was. Um, plagued by a lot of infighting and very different personalities and certainly not helped by the, you know, the amount of booze and drugs that was involved. But so it's, it's, it's ironic that something as simple as a synth line would be what ultimately did them in. And I'm not saying it is, but man, it's just, it's such a shame because that is one of the signature tunes. I mean, both of those are, but, but especially jump, possibly the signature to one of the top three signature tunes of the eighties. I mean, so much so that when the movie um, ready player one came out, it opens up with jump, you know, and when that, when that, when that hit the theaters and everyone was listening to it and I was in the audience, everyone feels better once they hear the opening lines of jump and that's Eddie Van Halen. And it really did transcend, not just America. It made them global superstars, didn't it? They did. And the other thing that's interesting too is that Eddie was so giving to other artists. And you talk about um, UK artists. I saw that Thomas Dolby today um, tweeted out his condolences to the, to the Van Halen family and reminded everybody that uh, Eddie appeared on two tracks of his on, I think it's Astronauts and Heretics. That's one of the more unknown contributions that Eddie gave. I mean, obviously everybody knows about uh, beat it with Michael Jackson. And he was he was a giving artist who loved music, and 
I think that boyish uh, adoration he had with the medium is what made him and the band so likable. Absolutely. And I was going to touch on that as well, the, the Beat It track with Michael Jackson. I mean, in terms of status as a rock star, when you're twinned with possibly the biggest star of the 80s, that's going to it be is. And, and The story behind it is so just as incredible as everything involving those two artists. I mean, Quincy Jones had to call Eddie Van Halen on the phone like two or three times before he would take the phone call because he was sure that it was someone who was pranking him. <laughs> and so finally he accepted the phone call and, and Quincy asked him to appear on the, uh, on the track and he did it and he did it for free. He, w- he would have appeared in the video if uh, Warner Brothers you know, wasn't so uptight about things. And just talking about a lasting legacy that Eddie leaves behind, just, just talk to us a little bit about what he's, I, he's like. You know, I think... People will look mainly at the good. I mean, he had his struggles with alcohol, but he, from all indications, he, he was over those, you know, by 2008. I think people will look at a guy who truly loved what he did. And it was apparent every second that he was on stage. You never saw him frown or look bored. He was so engaged and so happy to play this instrument. And, hap- and I think he got a lot of kick you know, from seeing how fans reacted, you know, I think that band, had they stayed together, would have given us, you know, 10 more gold albums over the years. Um, I know everybody was aching here in the U.S. for a another reunion tour. In fact, they were hoping for a, a reunion tour with all the original members, which, which never came to pass. And I, I suspect that's because those that were on the inside knew that the you know, Eddie wasn't able to do that anymore. And um, for that, you know, it's, but we had him when we had him for a long time and um, there's a lot to be happy about. And there certainly is a lot to be happy about in no small part down to the musical accomplishments he leaves behind. We all know the huge singles in the UK. Jump is a worldwide phenomenon. Why can't this be love? Another big hit here too. But for those who are not as familiar with some of the other tracks that Van Halen were famous for, I spoke with Maudi from Ranker.com and the History of Rock Facebook page. He gave me a rundown of the top five Van Halen songs as voted for by the general public and the readers of the Ranker website. At number five, we have a classic, uh, one of my personal favorites, uh, Eruption from their original album. And it's basically just a guitar solo. So the whole thing is just flexing by Eddie, so... Um, and then on number four, we've got one of their most recognizable songs ever, not Jump, but Running With The Devil, uh, which is the second single off of uh, their debut album also. So I guess the, the first was the best, right? That's what people say. Absolutely. A couple of old songs there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then at number three, we have one that I don't listen to much, but I know that it's a very popular song, obviously. It's Unchained from their fourth album, Fair Warning. Definitely a great, great song. A lot of uh, effects going on. Um, and, and it kind of like made the Van Halen's flanger sound very, very staple sound. And uh, at number two, we've actually got one from uh, a B-side, um, which is called Ain't Talking About Love. Um, and it oh, was I love released, that song. Yeah, it was released just after their debut album uh, on a B-side. So, and then for number one, one of my personal favorites, uh, it's the best riff ever, Panama, from their album 1984. Uh, and it was their third single, Panama, just unforgettable. And it's got the most votes according to the voters on Ranker. 
and bands like yourselves. Um, that's the greatest song ever written by the legend that was uh, Eddie Van Halen. Whether you're a fan or not, it's hard to argue that Eddie Van Halen wasn't one of the greatest rock stars and musicians of all time. It'll only take you a couple of minutes to see the tributes that have been pouring in over the last couple of days. Gene Simmons called him a guitar god. Brian May said those truly magical fingers opened a door to a new kind of playing. And both Nicky Six from Motley Crue and Pearl Jam's Michael McCready have likened him to Mozart. Rest in peace, Edward Van Halen. A big thank you to my guests on this episode, Kevin Dodds, author of Edward Van Halen, a definitive biography, which is available to buy online on all the usual places now. Darren Reddick from Planet Rock, who you can hear broadcasting right across the UK every weekday afternoon between 2 and 6pm. Steve Spears from Stuck in the 80s, a podcast which has been going 15 years. Find out more on their website, sit80s.com. And to Maudi from Ranker.com. Check out his Facebook page, History of Rock, which has over 300,000 followers. And that's it for this special episode of the Vintage Rock Pod. Keep listening to your classic rock music. And if you speak to anyone who isn't a fan, just tell them, my music is better than yours. Take care. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.